Hello and welcome to Friendly Anarchism. This is Catherine. This is part two of my conversation with my friend Candace, who is an economist and a communist and a mother and an all-around amazing lady. So let's go ahead and jump on in. All right. So where were we? We were talking about liberal anti-fascists. Now that's a thing now. <laughs> um, you mentioned everyday anti-fascism. How I understand everyday anti-fascism is not necessarily liberal anti-fascism. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, from Mark Bray's book, he, he describes everyday anti-fascism. Oh, no, wait, that's the wrong quote. This is how he describes liberal anti-fascism. He says, many people ascribe to a kind of liberal anti-fascism, whether they know it or not. By liberal anti-fascism, I mean a faith in the inherent power of the public sphere to filter out fascist ideas oh, and yeah. in the institutions of government to forestall the advancement of fascist politics. Right. Yeah. So I agree with that wholeheartedly. And that is definitely what I'm thinking about when I talk about liberal anti-fascism. But what I meant by mentioning everyday anti-fascism was just that like it kind of tends to attract people who believe that the systems that exist should still function in that regard. Right. Um, and it doesn't give them a pass, I wouldn't say, but it just frames the context of what anti-fascism and particularly the buzzword anti-fa stand for, which is just like that everybody should functionally be against fascism and um, invites or welcomes people who are, you know, for whatever reason, not um, gonna be like in the streets active anti-fascists but um, who hold those beliefs. And even if they hold those beliefs within a systemic context of like it still being the job of government to, to resolve those conflicts, those folks are also welcomed into the fray of anti-fascism. First of all, I have so much mad respect for some of the people who have been spokespeople or who have really promoted the concept of everyday anti-fascism because of the fluidity and of their like rhetoric around the subject, right? Um, and it's not just the fluidity, but it was like the foresight and the vision to be like, we need to be inclusive for people who might hold those liberal anti-fascist beliefs. Basically, the antithesis of that, and you don't even have to be the antithesis, but anything outside of inclusiveness of those folks is going to forward the agenda of fascism if it has an agenda. Right, yeah. And then when this book came out, when Antifa by Mark Bray came out mm -hmm. with the term everyday anti-fascism included in it, that was at a moment in 2017 when yeah, it really yeah. was unclear if anti-fascism was a societal value that we still hold kind of as a consensus in this society. You know, people That's are like, oh, well, funny. maybe fascism is a thing that we want to do. And so it was like really important to push at that moment, push back yeah. on the encroachment of fascism into even liberal spheres. Now, clearly this is still a problem. Uh, a lot of people like to think that defeating Trump means that we've defeated fascism. But we have entered a climate change era that is going to continue to be marked by more and more destabilization. So, unfortunately, the need to fight fascist creep is as urgent as ever and will continue to be. Now, I'm not going to go into too much detail right now, but I just wanted to point out and direct you towards some resources about common forms of fascist creep that I'm seeing right now. The first being an emphasis on a fear about population growth. First of all, global birth rates are in decline and have been for decades. Also, individuals are not equally responsible 
for the climate crisis, and by focusing on population, you obscure how the climate crisis is being driven heavily by unjust resource distribution, capitalism, colonialism, and militarism. Next is wanting to blame all of our problems on a small secret cabal of evil actors. This is based on anti-Semitic tropes, um, so this is stuff like the Illuminati, or uh, the media elites, or all that QAnon garbage. The third one is talk about purity versus degeneracy. So this is showing up a lot in natural food movements and farming movements where you start seeing rhetoric about the pure traditional countryside versus the degenerate dirty city. Uh, these things are often coded that the city is queer and black and the countryside is pure and white, even if it's not being said out loud. Uh, same thing with food and organic food movements. The original German Nazis were heavily involved in environmentalist movements, and a lot of that stuff still exists today. The last one I'm going to mention real quick is class reductionism. This happens a lot on the left, especially sort of Marxists and people in the communist milieu will want to reduce everything to a class analysis, which often supersedes for them a race analysis. But just remember that you cannot understand our economic system without understanding systemic racism. You can't understand climate change without understanding white nationalism. Okay, so that's just a really quick rundown. I've created a list of links on articles for all of those separate topics. If you are interested, uh, check them out in the show notes. Okay, back to Candace. They're looking at ways like, how can I vote and march and carry a sign and buy stickers and do whatever that, you know, is really low barrier, just below educating myself a little bit more to say the right things and do the right things. And those, unfortunately, are the people who will get ahead. Those, yeah. unfortunately, are the people who get to be part of think tanks because they are have a palatable message for the powers that be. They're not saying, hey, you guys, we're putting you on notice, powers that be. I think that there's an important discussion around how people conflate intensity of work versus quality of work versus, uh -huh. like, the baseline politics that go into the work because people are unclear about some of those things sometimes. For instance, you can do very sort of low intensity work with a really good politic. And that's a way to include a lot of people that can't be out in the street or like are disabled or there's many reasons why people can't be doing like really intensive, like high risk work. Right. But they can still do work that has like a really radical politic at a low intensity. And that's still better than people doing high intensity work with a bad politic. Absolutely. Like, yeah, it's really important for me that like we recognize the work of people who aren't necessarily able to um, be in the forefront or who maybe don't want to be or are doing really important radical work in the background because if they did it in the front lines, if they did it in the scope of the public, they would be at even more risk than they are by doing it in the background. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that work is carried by marginalized people, disabled people, people who can't like present 
in front of cameras and who can't march, you know, for whatever reason, time constraints or physically, right? Mm -hmm. And like this year to to me was such a natural experiment in all of that um, with the BLM movements that happened. I'm 36 and I'm a radical and I'm an anarcho-communist. So if you think about the arc of time that I existed within, as an active radical, was a young person with more freedom and like fewer constraints, was like always about being in the streets. And there's a whole lot of like self work and self understanding and recognition that has to happen for the person going through that change of life. Because now I'm not as able to be in a public sphere, march, do those things. Like I have severe asthma, you know, and this year it was COVID. And I have all these kids and like everybody wants to march at 6 p.m. I think we've talked about this before. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like, I have to be cooking dinner at that time. I just got off work an hour ago. Like, right. <laughs> or God forbid, it's a Saturday and I'm just like kicking my feet up. And like, that should be my prerogative because while I respect and appreciate people who have like a liberal agenda and those values who are marching in the streets, trying to do the work, trying to forward the movement, trying to get the revolutions, revolutionary shit going, some of them, and some of them are just like, can we ask government to do right by us? Whatever spectrum of those values that were, you know, in place at that moment in time, they created a public image of what was happening I think the thing that I'm really thankful for with the societal evolution that we're like experiencing now is that we have social media, we have the internet, like we have public forums that are like open source, open access, and people can share their values and their ideas and connect with each other broadly. And while that those spaces can absolutely be toxic as fuck and oh my god they're so annoying but (laughs) but no it's like so a lot of that work is being done by people who are behind the scenes and that is real work like we're writing actual policies that like dismantle existing policies we're like making sure that there's food and childcare. we're for people who are able you know we're making sure that there's like a next step, a next path. I now have to place myself within that group because like, I just don't have the time or space or like risk tolerance at this point to be in that confrontational, you know, marching around thing. And like, Honestly, now after COVID, I'm like working on my physicality because like I don't even have the physical capacity to do that anymore. Right. Yeah, I'm having the same. I'm having the same problems and the same issues. You know, like after my arrest, I got really, really sick, and I, it's one of the reasons I stopped the podcast. Um, and um, I'm still struggling with a lot of physical and mental symptoms, and I'm just not able to be out there doing that kind of thing shit hurts you know yeah and I'm I'm getting older and I'm 30 I'm 33 which is kind of on the edge people are still out there being radical as fuck all the way up I mean grannies you are out rabbits. there but <laughs> but I just personally like I um I just physically I just I'm not able to do that like podcast is not my favorite form of activism but it's what is available to me uh, oh, to be able to so... do from home you know and it's sort of the set of skills I have like I like ideas and stuff and I appreciate people who are out there doing the good crime but like I um 
I just, am not, <laughs> I just, I can't do it. Like, I just am not able to do that. You know, I really appreciate the abolitionist movement and like groups like critical resistance who have a framework of understanding, like that there's stuff people can do that is abolitionist and low intensity as opposed to like reformist, you know, you can still do things that are working yes. towards abolition, even Damn, if it's not like, way to bring it home. If it's not, yeah, even if it's not like burning <laughs> down prisons, you know, like, and I really like that. And I think that that's something that the more that we understand anti-fascism as a part of a larger abolitionist framework, like the better for everybody, you know? Right. And, um, right. You're so fucking smart. <laughs> I learned from the learned from the best. I learned from the best. <laughs> but I'm smart, and this is that's why I'm doing this podcast. Is this is there's lots of different kinds of smart, and this is I'm much more this kind of smart than street smart. <laughs> so like, this podcast has a longitudinal impact. I hope so. I, I, I mean, I'm, I, I'm I, just I, juicing you up like legit. Like you're doing something that's gonna last. It's a digital file now. It can yeah. continue on. People in the very least will know that they're not alone and having yeah. thoughts. I, I just, I have seen the problem um, of the, like, celebrity type atmosphere mm-hmm. thing that people get into and, like, getting into getting into this stuff for cloud and all of that stuff. Um, and I, I just, um, you know, so I, I struggle with that. But one thing that I've learned, too, though, is that it's really powerful to have a voice. And um, I'm... I'm the kind of person also I realized I didn't really know this until I got arrested actually but like there has been a downward pressure on me and like what was that oh honey yeah of course yeah there's been you're a fucking working class person yeah (laughs) you're a disabled person you're a queer person yeah I know but I didn't know (laughs) I didn't know that it's like when people come out as gay and everyone's like yeah, duh, obviously you're gay. Like, I didn't realize that I was visibly disabled. Um, oh. I didn't know until I, like, got into jail. And, um, like, everybody in there was just like me. And, um... Oh. But those are people. Yeah, yes, yes. And I just, I didn't know that I had a people and I didn't know that. But you did um, know at some point because you were always fighting for them before you ever met them. That's true, that's true. Like some part of me knew, but like it didn't really like hit home until I like walked into that jail and like I was like, saw people moving the same way as me. Mm, yeah. And like. Just awkward. We're just awkward society like members. Fucking awkward, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just dumb, just dumb. Just you know what, though? Think about that. We could have met in jail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, okay. You know, if I do go to jail, you know, whatever this, I, I mean, I'll fight it. I can't, I can't think of whatever stupid shit people would try and put me in jail for, but man, our government puts people in jail for stupid shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think, I think you're pretty well out of the scope of danger for the moment yeah i think so too. Know. I, I they're just, always changing the rules they're always changing the rules and <laughs> I, i'm doing this thing where i'm being mouthy again candace is being really patient with me here i am displaying some white fragility um because as a white person in america 
this is the first time that I've really personally experienced that sort of fear about my government. Like, it's one thing to know it intellectually, like, my generation, millennials, we grew up with Abu Ghraib, with Guantanamo Bay. Like, we know our government is capable of horrible, evil shit. That, none of that was hidden. That stuff is from when I was in middle school and high school, but it's a, it's a whole other thing to kind of feel the state clamping down on you. And um, I'm just sharing this vulnerability in this podcast right now because I, I hope that hearing that fear in my voice and from me and that paranoia that gets caused when you sort of realize really what this monster is, this carceral state that we have, just the heaviness of that. Um, that's my solidarity with criminalized populations because really just it's horrifically cruel it's horrifically cruel if you want just a continuous kind of rundown about the atrocities our government perpetuates all the time you can follow alec karaketsanis on twitter at equality alec with a c he's the founder and executive director of the civil rights corps or also another good twitter account is jailhouse lawyers speak that's at jail law speak on Twitter and uh, just constant barrage of just the horrific cruelty of our of the prison industrial complex and of this American government. You know, um, it's scary, man. You know, me and people like me are just doing our best to try and survive and make this a livable world and make it a fair and just world and um it shouldn't be this scary to do that but uh that is what it is that 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 is what it is <laughs> <laughs> well people keep trying to shut me up and like that makes me annoyed and makes me want to oh, like not same. do that and i it's worked like i shut up for a minute you know Cause it's just too much because it's too hard like it's like there's a reason <sighs> that um this podcast has been really hard and like you mentioned earlier you're talking about celebrity and about status and about um mm-hmm. and i've been struggling with this show in particular with like my role as a host on a podcast and what that means to be uh somebody who is taken from versus somebody who's like helping I got to a point where it feels like um, the desire for the system to commodify me or you or anybody is uh-huh. like so deeply embedded. It, to be a public figure is to be somebody who then becomes commodified too. And like, I can feel that. It's just like, I feel really uncomfortable with, I, I don't know. I, I've just been- That feeling really... That feeling is really important. Because, like, once you become a public figure, once you put your work out there, then you start to become the property of the public, right? But I will say this. When you're adding to the discourse and the, the larger, like, school of knowledge and body of work that's out there, 
about these issues and like really doing so in like a very accessible, you know, sort of revealing way that take, especially from like an AFAB lens from that like raised femme gender lens, which is so often dominated and dictated by like tankies and fucking dudes Mm -hmm. you know that that is worth it it's worth the risk but then of course with every risk that you take you have to find ways to mitigate it and so like it goes back around to like who do you want yourself to be how do you want yourself to be commodified I think you've done a really good job of like taking a step back when it just became too much yeah you know and that's totally respectable and it's also like a demonstration project in like what you mean when you say community care, what you mean when we when we talk about like, you know, activist burnout and like all of those pieces. I mean, people look at me and they go like, oh, you never burn out. And I'm like, you don't really know, actually. Right. Because I always find ways to stay busy. Well, I have to stay busy, like de facto as a fact of my life, it's like, like, you know, part of the fact that I'm like a mom and I work and all these other things but like often also <clears throat> just grab on to projects that are a little lower barrier for me to like stay active so that I can like continue and it's not because I want to be a public figure or want to be a you know public commodity it's because I just want to keep my momentum up right but people look at that and they do like they do look at that and they do try to like define it for you. And it's really hard to, to keep, keep a hold of that. Well, and all of these issues, all of these issues are tying into things I'm finding out about myself and about reevaluating my own life and my own way of being in the world. And it's like, how much of this do I want to do publicly? <laughs> like how much of this is like useful to people and like is useful for me to find community and useful for me to like create community and how much of it, is like, and I'm, I'm just really struggling with that balance. You know, you lose, <laughs> it's, it's like- You lose status points. Like nobody's gonna protect you if they find out all of the like lower status things about you. They're just yeah. like, hey, let's be- Like, oh. oh text somebody we think is more important. This is somebody that is trash. Like we can just throw this person out and not care about this person. And like, that's a thing that's happened to me in activist spaces where it's like, you think I'm one way, and then you meet me and you see that I move and talk a little bit differently than you thought I would, or I look differently than you thought I would. And I can just like see the status get lost and they get so painful and like doing that in a- Yeah, so those aren't fucking activist spaces that we care about. <laughs> That's right. Those yeah. are the wrong activist spaces. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> no, honey, it's fine. Like you're a thing of beauty and that a lot of people are just so caught up in their own belief and internalized abuse from society about like what the truth is that like they don't know how to behave properly in those scenarios to really be able to just like take people as they are and like meet them where they're at requires you kind of being in a position of subvert like a subvertive position mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. I think it's interesting that I reached for Christianity at that point too. And I felt like I was like going to be doing something more dangerous with my life. I like reached back to my ancestors and see what they did. 
my whole family is oh, Christian. Oh, Sankofa did it. <laughs> my what? What I say? Sankofa is like the original symbol of the heart, like the African symbol with the like doves or like the tails. I don't know. My partner's the artist, not me. But um, it's it's like the circle It's a mythological bird. There we go. Oh. Um, reaching back for an egg on its tail. It's an African symbol in the style of what people? The icon. Yep. But it's, it's something that all humans do. It's a theme that's repeated throughout most of our ancient ancestral knowledge. Hmm, that's interesting. Um, so we were talking about this before. So yeah, you reached back to your ancestors and were trying to do something like how did how did they find strength and like how did they deal with the world when it was difficult i've had some crises of faith while i've been on hiatus um i've kind of come back around to deciding that faith is a practice and a choice you know that it's like even if like every moment of the day i don't believe in god that the choice to like be a person who lives in faith is useful to me to like be able to survive yeah. you know Michelle. And, um, and when we're talking about these hierarchies there is something that was very strong about the way that the christian tradition subverted the existing social hierarchy to say actually the wealthy are the least important people that the refugees and those hated by the government are the most important people and like i didn't have a lot of exposure to the bible when i was a kid but my mom did read the christmas story at christmas every year and oh yeah that's a really beautiful powerful, powerful story, story yeah. like who is the most no room at the inn there's no room at the inn it's like refugee family living in poverty is being turned away from everybody just hated by society under risk from a totalitarian government and mm -hmm. um that this person like this woman is the most important person in the world you know right because she's the mother <laughs> of god like that is a really powerful subversion of the social hierarchy in a way that i think is uh it's just such a good story that it's like really lasted and is still really powerful you know and i, yeah. I still really believe that and i still really love that image and like how you imagine your god it's like if you imagine your God as the least of these, as the person that's most hated by society, like how does that change the way you move through the world? Like how does that change who you care about? Who am I trying to impress, right? <laughs> like, like, yeah, exactly. Like, what, would, what would the woman living at the end, like who can't find a room at the end, the poorest person, what is this like brown woman that's like living in poverty, like what does she think about my actions? You know, instead of thinking about like, what are the people in power who can like hurt me? like what do they think or are even you... like what is a super cool hipster who like you know started a blog page that like <laughs> talks about anti-fascism and like right, exactly. is a well-known organizer like what do they think about my actions like <laughs> right this is definitely a subtweet but not towards any blog actually the only anti-fascist blog i know about is the three-way fight and that's a great blog you should totally check it out yeah, yeah. Um, none of those people are important. The people who are most important are the people who are are the stakeholders, right? Like the people who are like the stakeholders matter in the decisions that you make. So I would say 
if the work that you're doing is supported by those people, then great. If it's not, then stop doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the really hard, the really, really difficult piece of that is like, I'm a leftist. I'm very often considered part of the stakeholder category because of like all of my particular like marginalized identity related things. Mm-hmm. And those two identities, leftism and being marginalized, don't always interact well in terms of like being able to say, you know, definitively, yes or no, I agree with this and be of a spokesperson for other marginalized people, particularly people of color, because we don't all agree, you know? (laughs) And so like, you know, with the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, something that you were like involved in. (laughs) I personally owe so much to black women Mm -hmm. just in my personal life. Like, I don't think I could ever make up for it. Well, you know, and we're not asking you to do that because like, I think that like in a lot of ways, what we're just asking for is for you to, you know, within, within your capacity, within the safety of your person, support us and support our voices. Mm-hmm. And I see you doing that. So like, I don't, I don't know, like there's a whole lot of white activists around who like will frequently grandstand and like are still to this day, even after all of the dialogue and all of the discussion around what it means to be an ally and, and like what it takes to be an effective ally, will still like, for instance, try to center themselves and their version of the dialogue that they think will be more acceptable to the powers that be. And that is the problem. That is the fucking problem that I have been facing for weeks now, like, and for years, but really like encountering it for weeks is because like these people know that I'm right. Mm -hmm. You know, (laughs) the powers that be. They've encountered and dealt with me long enough to know that if I say something, it's right. Mm -hmm. Like (laughs) in terms of like what needs to happen, what is to be done, what should we be doing that's the right thing. And they're having a really difficult time confronting their own cognitive dissonance and like their own positionality of wanting to and having the power to resist that progress that I'm saying that we we need to be taking. And that's just from a lens of progress. That's not from a revolutionary lens. And so I appreciate you, um, you know, like making this space where like I can say that and like there being other people who will listen to this and say, yeah, that is a lens I hadn't really considered. Mm -hmm. And that is a fucking factor of like, oh shit, we should be listening to black women. We should be listening to people who have not just lived experience, but also fucking education. Like that's the thing that they often forget about me and they want to like put me in this lived experience category and I'm they, the powers that be in my life currently. Mm-hmm. But I have a background degree in economics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have been as a child for countries, like I spoke different languages. I worked in kitchens. I've worked for my whole life. Like, you know, people will still like relegate me to like entry level labor 
or experience for the work that I do. And it's like, motherfuckers, I've been working for 22 years, mm-hmm. you know? And if you think that none of that work experience that I have and none of that life experience that I have and none of this. And, and so like, it's the same with you. It's like, if you don't think that like my lens on ableism or my lens on gender or like the way that I walk and move and experience the world it matters, then fuck yeah. As my sister Jackie would say, <laughs> fuck yeah, yeah. then. You know, and her, like, she's been all over this world. She speaks three languages. She fucking has, like, multiple, multiple skill sets and still makes, like, not enough money to live on Mm -hmm. because she's from another country and has an accent and she's Mm -hmm. Black, Mm -hmm. you know? And so we have a whole lot of work to do. This new Democratic administration is, like, posing as being, like, this is how we're going to fix America. Like, motherfuckers, unless you're talking about a complete revolution, we ain't fixing America. And, you know, the AOCs of the world and whatever who dilute our message and, you know, take a lot of flack for it. Like, I give her credit for fucking being publicly socialist, right? Mm-hmm. And, and taking flack for that. And, you know, on January 6th, I was legitimately worried for her. Like, mm-hmm. I was actually, like, thinking, oh, shit, fucking Rashida Tlaib, you know, like, um, my girl, fucking uh, Omar, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, like, AOC. All those, those women were at risk. Those are the people they wanted to kill. Yep. You know, and so like I give them credit where credit is due, but also, bitch, stop talking about my message because (laughs) you don't have it. (laughs) You Mm -hmm. don't have it. You're not revolutionary. Y'all are liberals. You know, (laughs) although Ilhan Omar is kind of she's kind of I fangirl her. Like, I don't know if she's just like quietly not saying like things. I she very infrequently pisses me off because (laughs) she just does things that make sense. But she doesn't like do them in a way that being like, this is the way it means. Like, yeah. which is like AOC being like, this is what it means. And it's like, oh, we needed a hot girl to fucking tell us some bullshit. <laughs> this ain't even true. <laughs> How about yeah. listen to some ugly motherfuckers? You know? Because <laughs> if you're ugly, you get the worst of fucking society. Yeah, like, yeah, that's the thing yeah. is, I'm like, you could be an ugly white man, really ugly, and probably be have like way worse experiences than me you know, but that's not saying that that's a fucking blanket thing. You could be an ugly white man and still be like very high in the power structure. That's what the Nazis went after me for was for being ugly in my mugshot. Oh yeah. Because they knew that that was, that's a, that's a societal weakness. That's like, Oh, like you're less, you're less likely to be cared about and listened to and have any sort of power to change anything. If, um, you're ugly. I don't know. One of my favorite rappers is Trinidad James, which he is trash, by the way, but I love him. Uh, he has a song out called Ugly. And the yeah, my partner's going, yeah, yeah, quote Trinidad James, because the song is called Ugly. And the song goes, God made you ugly, bitch, you ugly. That's OK. <laughs> if my baby come out ugly, I'll still love it. OK. <laughs> Exactly, motherfucker. <laughs> like, so what if you're yeah. ugly? You can always put on fancy clothes. It's, you know? about, it is, it's really, it really is all about confidence. And it's like, that's what I'm trying to like build up 
it took a lot of like chutzpah to like be like okay i'm gonna be an open anarchist in the middle of a fucking fascist uprising (laughs) sure (laughs) sure and it's like now we have democrats and it's still sort of like we got some blue mega stuff going on and it's like i'm just like oh man like can i like get enough chutzpah to like do this again it was such a fight that first season was like i just was fighting all it was so hard man i was just fighting all the time and it's just like doing that again makes me feel so tired and i'm like i don't think that's the next thing to do honey what the i don't think i don't think that fight oh like the show yeah do the show fuck yeah but if if you're thinking like this is draining you then by all means don't do it because you put your fucking life on the line for the fucking movement <laughs> and i just yeah. want you around for your wisdom yeah <laughs> that's what i'm wondering i'm just really i'm having a hard time deciding if the amount of risk is worth the amount of gain or the, if i'm actually safer having more celebrity and like having more people around me because like i was reading this book the seven necessary sins for women and girls by mona el tahawi and one of the things she talks about is how celebrity has saved her ass like we're told as women to be quiet and to like Mm -hmm. be small and to not make any fuss but it actually um and that's so they can use us that's one thing i was told you know i was told that basically just like i was doing this for attention and like that's all that mattered and it's like i don't even understand your hierarchies it's definitely not why i was doing this show and maybe (laughs) it would make more sense for me to actually try and get some of the celebrity stuff and like do that thing even if it costs something it's like well i'm getting commodified anyway like fucking i just like almost got COVID at my stupid ass job so it's like my body is on the line. like my, my i would say that's is- hella riskier i know so it's like why am i doing that when i maybe i could just yeah this show being called friendly anarchism like you're maintaining that friendly lens and like that care and concern and like inquisitive based lens I'm sorry, some of your guests, current company included, <laughs> you know, are probably not upholding that as well. But well, they I can come like, for me. Maybe Pull I up, should, bitch. Well, well, <laughs> see, but maybe I should be doing that too. Like, am I leaning into whiteness by like making myself small and kind and like friendly to like appease? So like mean people aren't mean to me because I seem like innocent and like nice is that actually is that actually a weakness I think you're just doing you yeah and I think that that's reasonable for anybody to expect of anybody in fact if we could just get to that point if we could just get to a point where we let people be them do them you know and people didn't have to have like all of this self-doubt around whether or not it was like the right thing Mm -hmm. We would find that, you know, within a couple generations, it would just be the right thing. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I mean, that's my fucking theory is that in generally like people who want to be good, quote unquote, you know? Yeah. Like the very fucking small incidents of people within our society who actually like desire to be fucked up that is more prevalent now because the model is be fucked up. Mm, yeah. The model is to exploit. The model is to do damage and so like by you existing the way that you do like the very oh no that was weird as fuck so uh my laptop went to sleep oh (laughs) 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 oh technology oh technology like as if i'm just not touching you then you just must go to sleep no so getting back to it's just like dude honestly like just be you 
being kind is such a revolutionary fucking act in this world anymore. <laughs> like, you really get beaten. You really get the shit beaten out of you for it. People really are mean about it. People are fucking assholes. That's why it's a revolutionary act to be kind. I mean, and and I'm not like you're never cowered away from a fucking Nazi fight. Like so, you know, as a kind person who still steps up and is willing to fucking punch a Nazi, like or has been in the past and maybe isn't anymore because the physical toll that that takes on people like trauma is real (laughs) the trauma is real like i think that you know if if punching nazis is a requirement for american citizenship in the well in the new turtle island revolutionary society that i would create in my dreams like only doing it one time (laughs) is mandatory in anybody's (laughs) lifetime (laughs) well there's a reason that Taoists and like monks and people that preach nonviolence also do martial arts because mm-hmm. if you're just nice, then you just get smashed. So it's like, well, yeah. I want to be nice. And in order for me to be nice, I have to be able to defend myself. Yeah, <laughs> you got to be a no bullshit type of person. I know. It's like, no I want to be kind. That's what I want. I want to be kind. I want to be nice. I want to be nonviolent. But if there are people out there that see that and they see that as weakness, so it's like, well, I also. I also know how to hurt you. I definitely do not want to, but like, I just need you to know that I do know how to do that (laughs) so that I can continue to be like a kind person. Yes. And for a time there, you put yourself on the front lines of that fucking conflict and that struggle um, that literally put you in the crosshairs of cops and Nazis sick, the same thing. Um, (laughs) So there's a difference between you and me, right? You're a nice person who... Um, went out looking for a fight, you know, and I'm a nice person, really nice person who often has the fight brought to me just as part of my existence, be kind to everyone. But, you know, when people have gotten their fill or their use out of me, then they decide to mistreat me and have had multiple scenarios where I've had to like fuck somebody up you know, <laughs> and I never like trained to fight or whatever. I just somehow inherently knew how to use this big body of mine to fuck motherfuckers up, <laughs> that, <laughs> you know, and well, then that becomes a stereotype and it's like the black women are violent, black women are angry. And it's like, no, society abuses us to the extent and they're okay with it, including men white men, big white men with guns, cops, i.e. Sandra Bland, i.e. all of us who have been abused in that situation. In a sense, like we're forced to take on that defense training. Mm-hmm. And what's what's happening with me is as I'm going through this journey of like finding myself and not hiding so much about my queerness and my disability it's like the fight is coming to me more you know that's the price I pay mm-hmm. for like being more open about who I am and I can see that in this happening in my life just physically in the world and that's why I'm sort of like retiring from like being out on the front and stuff taking care of myself in a world that's more openly hostile and violent to me for being more openly who I am mm-hmm. means that I have a whole lot less spoons at the end of the day I have a whole lot less energy to like be doing other you know so like I, I feel for folks that like can't be out there and like I just happen to have already built this platform 
and put a lot of time and a lot of energy and money and pain <laughs> into yeah. it. and it's a successful show like I did the numbers and like it's actually just literally a successful podcast you know so like I'm proud of that and it's I want to be able to use that it has a lot more value to me honey honestly than fucking any ass protest any day like I, I, I'll just say it like I don't go I don't march in the streets I don't go you know why because it's like a moment in time that happens and we record it and it's in the news or whatever and it often can be like <clears throat> whereas like this podcast is very much claims it's and makes its own definition mm -hmm. and like is saying what it is through it being that mm -hmm. marching down the street with a bunch of people who all have different ideas about what you're trying to accomplish right more often than not is usually distilled down to a few like uh, palatable talking points for the public, which then become the fucking point and the fucking presence and the premise of that whole thing. And so what you've just done is something, it, it is a fucking exercise in commodification of your efforts. And it's like misappropriation in a lot of ways. And then it makes space for fucking dumbasses to come in and try to tell me that they have a better messaging on what we should do with cops when <laughs> they've automatically through their privilege their white like female privilege <laughs> and youth and wealth and all of these things been thrust into these positions of legitimacy and power when they haven't really had any lived experience right and healing. I, my focus hasn't been protests because in a lot of ways a protest is itself asking something of power and like i'm not interested in that like you know so exactly I would, I would go as security for people that were protesting because don't want people to get hurt because like, they don't want people yes. to get hurt right and like, and like um but the actual act of like protesting can raise awareness and has a lot of good things and can build community and i i think all that <clears> what's really important is just taking care of people like we're in a crisis moment like the state is failing like we're in the middle of a pandemic like we have you know, do something that tangibly thing. makes the situation better yeah. versus like just do something where you're asking. I said it a bunch of times that I'm like a pretty unpopular person about town now, especially among like black activists about town, because a lot of them are liberals, to be honest. And like, and and so in that unpopularity, I have said multiple, multiple times, like, how many more times are y'all gonna go and yell at an empty building of people who have the power to create change? Um, that you want, but they won't and they haven't and they aren't even present and often they're sending the cops after you for just doing that and you haven't even done anything right. confronting them directly right. like you're putting yourself at risk for very very low return right um, exactly. the economist in me says fuck that let's just pool our money and buy some land and fucking create a real revolutionary like enclave that sits aside beside the fucking like sick society that we live in and as an example of what can be possible yeah it just people's material needs met is like such a difficult thing to do and the fight will come to you you know like that whole yeah. thing like that's what you're saying about like when you're just trying to survive we're trying to like save the lives of people who are being killed but not by just fascists but like the entire system that is eugenic mm -hmm. based that like where if you don't make it far enough up the ladder you just get to fucking die you yep. know like you just fucking die if you like can't climb this bullshit ladder that has all of these requirements that are like super ableist super racist super classist so some people mm -hmm. just like you you never have a chance to get up the ladder and so your choice if somebody isn't attending to your material needs like you're just gonna die 
you know, like that kind of work feels so much more revolutionary and more important to me than trying to like put yourself in, in front of a line of cops to get your ass beaten and possibly your life ruined in order to ask people who don't care about you at all to change policies <laughs> that change very People little. who don't think it's feasible. God, my least favorite word this fucking month. <laughs> yeah. People who don't think it's feasible to fucking care enough about your life to actually use their power that they have to enact change to actually do it. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, is, so- that is not who I'm interested in talking to. Yeah, and if the system is trying <laughs> to kill people through poverty, then like alleviating poverty and like getting people housed and like getting people stuff to live is an act of resistance against that, right? Yeah, help people squat. If you want to yeah. be a fucking counter, if you want to be a revolutionary and you want to like counteract the state and you're like pissed about the way things are going, help people squat. Yeah. Don't fucking make a sign and go yell at a courthouse that's closed, quite frankly. It's just we- stupid. We have so many empty houses and so many people without housing. It's just absurd. Yeah. I mean, if you're listening to this from the rest of the country or from the other parts of the world, America is fucked up. I will say, so I like, I like memes a lot because I feel like they're like a super low barrier way to convey something that people really can understand on an accessible level. And also imagery is really good. Um, And I saw a meme, it was like, for lack of a better term, a chief, a native chief, saying, when y'all got here, when white settlers got here, they said that we lived in teepees and that made us savages. Um, But when we lived in teepees, there was no such thing as homeless. Now we go on the streets and we see people living in tents, which, you know, (laughs) they're not even allowed to be in. And now you have a thing called homelessness. Right. You know, and it was just, it was like, I don't know, I'm paraphrasing poorly. It was probably something like there was never homelessness when we lived in teepees. Right. It was like that short, you know? yeah. <laughs> like, And I'm just like, motherfuckers, this is real. And like, if you talk to fucking people who are living in a tent, a lot of those people are just like you. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you are one injury away from not being able to work. Yeah. The other thing I was seeing a lot of, there's just a lot of lateral violence happening in a way that I don't feel like is really that helpful. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Like we're in a different world you know, like people are romanticizing sort of the way fascism was working in Europe in the thirties. And it's like, that's not how fascism really functions here now. Coming face to face with some of these fascists, what's like, I don't think punching you in the face is gonna solve this problem. Like you, right. like you are a QAnoner, and like you are not like <laughs> the same reality that we are in right now. And oh yeah, honey. Yeah. And like you are not a physical threat to me at all. You're just a sad human, and I, like we can solve this problem. I don't think that this approach is going to solve this problem. We just like need new ways of fixing this. Like you're a threat. Yeah. You're, like you're definitely a threat, and you're a problem. But like this, like in the street thing that's happening is not solving this issue you know what I mean like we live in a different world than 100 years ago yeah I guess I would say like I got a like a pretty good tickle a couple years ago when like all those Santa Barbara anti-fascists were going around (laughs) like the fascist rallies that were happening in the parks and like fucking people up like I thought that that was funny and I got a tickle out of it I didn't think that that was going to become the model that people thought was like the true legitimate way to fight fascism in America right like um and 
Um, I think that like what that does is it fosters an environment that makes it unsafe for the people who are truly affected by fascism to be part of the like public discourse. Right. Right. Um, like what it does is it it still provokes and promotes this like space for white males, particularly white able-bodied males to be centered in the struggle, which they have the most work to do. Like I will agree, but what it does is it like creates a false space. I'm most concerned, like, cause I, I have young black males as sons to be like, oh, this is our chance. Like, and then they're the ones getting fucked up, arrested and killed. Right in those environments, you know, the Kyle, whatever his fucking name is in Wisconsin or whatever, you know, shooting anti-fascists. So the thing that I've been telling people the most is like, pick and choose your battles. If you have the energy and the drive to fight and you're fighting for people and you're fighting for our right to exist in like, in peace and, and like egalitarianism, if you're fighting for that, then put that energy towards something tangible, something material that will make a difference in the lives of the people, you know, who yourself and everybody, your community, like that you're trying to say, like, let's take a step away from this, like despotic capitalism and fucking like bullshit eugenicist hierarchy and let's like create spaces of resilience. Yeah. Let's not try to use our energy to tear down systems that have like fucking consistently throughout history used bigger, more powerful guns, the law, the fucking carceral system mm-hmm. to the process. Let's do something that they can't even imagine. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> reminding myself why I wanted to do the second season because I think the anti-fascist discourse right now has been uh pretty heavily centered on portland and (laughs) it's not a coincidence that like the widest city in the entire nation is like taking up so much space in anti-fascist discourse right (laughs) we know know the south is the ones out there holding it the fuck down like i I see you i see you out there folks y'all's my people i've done anti-fascism this is going to get real controversial i'm not going to make any friends but this is what we're talking about who am i focusing on who am i focusing on the on who's popular am i focusing on like who needs to be uplifted in this conversation it's Mm -hmm. like i'm gonna say that like i since i've done this work all over the country now portland thinks it's the best at it (laughs) right now that it's not it's not oh. the fact that you have these like really visible, huge, violent battles that are like causing all of this propaganda opportunities for the fascist right. And um, so many people have been fighting fascism in a way that like doesn't make the press, people in rural areas, abolitionists that know how to like quell a thing before it even becomes a thing. Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff is not getting enough credit for like right. holding fascism at bay for the last four years you know like a lot of the problems that we have have come out of portland there's history there and there's like reasons why it's a specifically much more difficult place to fight fascism and i'm not saying that it's doesn't have a lot to add to the conversation but the fact that it's dominating the conversation right now who knows about fascism rural black people (laughs) (laughs) it's like it's it's, so it's like it's not a problem for people who have a lot of experience but it's like also the fact that the Um, the discourse is so heavily talking about urban areas right now is a problem you know like yeah a lot of the fascism problems right now are happening in rural areas what Portland has to offer 
is very different from what a lot of people have to deal with, right? So again, I, it's not like tearing down what Portland's saying. It's just saying that it shouldn't have such a huge cultural influence and like such a centrality in all of the discourse, right? Well, I mean, we I think we really have to like hold the fucking mass media to task on that, right? Yeah. They like a juicy story. They like a pretty background scenario. I mean, and, and like the other thing is like, there's so much hyperbole. There's so much like exaggeration about the like level of conflict that's happening in Portland to the extent that like, when you look at the actual geographic area of like Portland <laughs> where things are going down, like it doesn't even equate to like 16 city blocks. And that is a really, really sprawly city, right? A city that I love, don't get me wrong. It's even though, even though it's the whitest city in America, like it's got a lot of juice to it. And especially like if you live in Oregon, like I do, like it's got a lot of jazz to it <laughs> compared to the rest of Oregon. But denying that discourse of what it means to be rural and black, we're like denying the fact that like my people are out there I so strongly resonate with Appalachia because like that's poor people just doing the fight because they know better, you know, and it's like white activists, a lot of it, um, you know, a lot of folks out there doing the struggle like and, and fucking working on the fucking human struggle out there are white activists, mm -hmm. but they don't forget where they came from. They don't posture supremacy like in the same experience that I've had in other places you know where everybody's posturing for to be famous to be notable, like notable for what they do like they're out there really meeting each other's mutual fucking needs mm -hmm. because the proximity for not surviving is so much closer when you're that poor right and so my experience out here has been very much like I've met a lot of like super teched out like decked out fucking anti-fascists who will talk over me in spaces and they're like 25 year old white dudes mm. and like talking about their importance and i'm just like okay i don't have to be fucking important i can just leave right you know um but what does that really do for the like grander discourse what does that do for moving forward real anti-racism or real anti-fascism like it doesn't it doesn't do shit that's racism i think it makes sense for a lot of white people white people to be drawn to anti-fascism because it's like other white people are kind of our problem that we need to deal with like like that makes sense to me you know um but it does become problematic if we haven't done our own homework to like really strip down our own biases and then those get permeated out through our praxis you know yeah i mean i don't know like i don't want to like just shit on white activists because like i do like i said i always get a tickle out of like anarchists all fucking blocked up like going and fucking with democrats or whatever like i do i get a kick out of it but it's not <laughs> the movement to be clear not all anarchists are white obviously and not everybody in block is white either there was other context that i needed to edit out because i didn't have time for it that's not what candace was meaning like it's not the movement that is the problem it's the media and you creating other alternative media that really like talks about and explores this discourse around it is really important. So I hope that you have the spoons to maintain the struggle on this and like to continue to keep it going. But if you don't, I'm not gonna hold it against you because I know that you'll have the spoons to do other things because you're like never gonna give it up. You no, know? you're like, what's his name? Rick 
what's his name? You're like Rick rolling us. <laughs> never gonna give it up. You're like Rick Astley. <laughs> You're never gonna give up the struggle. You're never. <laughs> Rick roll. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just right. a compliment. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I, so I know you'll never give it up. Just like yeah. I won't ever give it up. But the way yeah. it looks to other people might be different. And who gives a fuck what those other people think unless yeah. they're people who are direct stakeholders who fucking are impacted by the work that you're doing. Yeah. So as long as that work, it doesn't hurt those folks. And as long as it's aligned with the fucking goals and values that they have, then by all means, do it until you're yeah. satisfied. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I I appreciate you so much and I love talking to you and we've been talking for another I think this is gonna have to be multiple episodes two hours again we can't two hours we can't just look at <laughs> there's just so much to say and I just love talking to you and I um so I love you really <laughs> I love you too and I love your kids and I love your family and I hope I can come we can go come stay with us dude we're we're not dirty <laughs> we already had covid I gave some... it to all the rich people in our lives i'm kind of i'm kind of greasy my hair's kind of greasy but i mean no that probably protects you from covid my hair is greasy too bitch. <laughs> <laughs> it's healthy is what it is it's healthy it's healthy we put grease in our hair y'all try to get rid of it i'm just like what is going on <laughs> 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 i've always i've never understood that but anyways <laughs> but my, my white girlfriend's growing up they'd be like my hair is all greasy and i'm like yeah what's the problem <laughs> oh i don't know no yeah you're you're rad cat i miss you i miss you too i will i will post this and um consider my options and what i want to work on because i i the idea of celebrity freaks me the fuck out it's terrifying we'll see what we'll see we'll see what i decide to do <laughs> no make us famous we'll be famous we don't give a fuck all right make us famous and then we'll be we'll be targets but then as soon as we're targets we'll be like go fund me <laughs> i don't know how to do this you'll figure this out i'm still figuring this out <laughs> like famous and in danger but poor like how did i do that what dude as soon as you're fucking in danger i'll make you fucking give me your money and go fund me page okay okay no better all right i love you i love you too i'll talk to you Gracious. Okay, well, I actually do have to put this on a miniature hiatus again, uh, just because life is fucking hard, and just keeping my white and liberal friends and family from becoming fascists, as well as keeping my marginalized radical friends from dying, is like, and me, and myself, like taking care of myself too, it's just a lot of work right now, you guys. And uh, so I'm kind of focusing on that and some other projects and um, just going to keep considering what to do with this thing that I made. Because I really like it, but I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, I have a Patreon and a Ko-Fi. Would still love support on that because I do still have the hosting costs and the um, production costs. 
to make up for. So thank you to my current patrons for that. The intro and outro music is done by the band Kylo Ren from their track Towards a Creative Nothing off of the album Decadence. Thank you for listening. I hope that you're doing all right and take care of each other. All right. Bye. For now. <laughs>